may be seated. We just got some worship on, right? We say that in the south. I think we say that in the north too, right? If not, we should. Why? Because it's a continuation of being amazed at God's marvelous nature. We're starting to conclude a series called Deeper, and we've been walking through the New Testament church, the book of Acts. We've been trying to examine a little bit more of what that church looked like um, to try to better learn for ourselves what we should look like individually, but also uh, collectively as his body of believers. Why? Because we know that the church is compiled of you. You're the church. We're the church together, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family, right? So we're all coming together. We're having turkey Thursday at noon right here. No. Because we don't think of family that way. We don't think of church family being like that. But that's what this really was. I'm not saying Thanksgiving didn't exist. I'm not saying that. I know that. But they, they lived life together. And that's one of the things I think about. One of the reasons the church was so powerful, was so significant, is I think they started to really understand what it was to live life together, not to simply come together uh, for a culmination of, oh, okay, I'm going to worship God right now, or I'm going to talk about who Jesus is. They allowed themselves to live life together. That's why it was so significant. They were bound to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so often we don't allow ourselves the joy of that. We don't allow ourselves the joy of getting that close to other people. We learn a lot from the early church. We learn a lot from what was happening. Uh, Last week we learned that we need to be more concerned with jumping into God's movement, Barnabas. And that's what caused him to do what he did in giving and selling of his land and giving that, laying those proceeds at the apostles' feet. Or or we, instead of jumping into God's movement, some, some of us ask God to jump into our movement, Ananias and Sapphira. And it doesn't turn out very well. The irony of that is often in today's world, we want God to jump into our movement. He doesn't because it's our movement, not his movement. And as a result of that, we get angry at God. Well, I can't believe God is doing this. Right? And we've never even asked the question of are we jumping into God's movement rather than asking God to jump into our own movement. And here's the thing we must remember. God's movement is always greater than your design. It's always greater than your greatest wonder and dream and imagination. We know that from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, 20 and 21. That he can do abundantly more than you've ever asked or imagined. And so we want to jump into God's movement. And we see a group of people, a church, jumping into God's movement. Another thing that we learned, though, is we look through this passage, Acts chapter 5. That's where we're going to be, Acts 5, 17 through 42. Um, and I'm going to go very, very quickly, just like I always do, because there's a lot of verses here. But as we look at Acts chapter 5, 17 through 42, we're also being reminded that problems from outside of the church... Problems, and they were already starting to experience difficulty and problems. They, they were experiencing the religious leaders coming and really saying, okay, no longer are you to speak about the name of Jesus Christ. Problems from outside the church typically caused the church to grow. That's one of the things that we learn. Right? I, I tell people all the time, I, I don't mind hardship from outside the church. I expect it. 
What hurts is problems from within the church. And that's what we're learning is that problems from, without, from outside of the church typically make it stronger, while problems within the church can destroy the unity and cause loss of biblical purpose. That's what we find in the early church over and over and over again. You're going to see it unfolding before us. And so we're jumping in, verse 17 and following. And I want to just go ahead and start there. I'm going to read 17 through 21. I'd love for you to follow along with me in the word of God if you have it. If not, uh, we'll have it up here for you as well. This is what it says. Um, It says, but the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Now, I want to go ahead and acknowledge, and you can leave this passage of Scripture up right where it is. The high priest, he is the primary religious leader in that area. He is filled with jealousy towards some apostles, remember, who are ordinary, unschooled gentlemen. Right? We found that out two weeks ago. Unschooled, uneducated Ordinary guys, now the high priest is filled with jealousy toward them. Why? Because the people are listening to the apostles. They're no longer listening to who he uh, or to what he is saying. And they don't want to lose their authority. So here's this high priest. Talk about role reversal. They are now jealous of the apostles. And so they arrested them, put them in the public prison. Now you go, what's the public prison? It's where everybody knew that they were in prison. That's an easy way. To, it's public prison. They wanted to make an example of them. And so they put them in public prison, meaning everybody knew where they were. They, they, they could go, okay, wait a second. We don't want to do what they're doing. They were making an example of them, making sure that they were going to utilize or, or utilize this situation to ensure that nobody else was going to start doing what they're doing. But during the night, so they throw him in public prison, verse 19 and following. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Now, verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison. I don't want to jump over that because I think too often we jump over what an angel is. According to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us that an angel is a ministering spirit. And one of the things that we also need to recognize is that angels are powerful. That's Hebrews 1.14. It refers to angels as being ministering spirits. And we know that angels are powerful. Lucifer was an angel, an angel who rebelled against God and said, I want all the power for myself. You think of Gabriel as another angel, right? From God. Well, here it tells us that an angel comes and opens the prison doors and brings them out. And these are the words that he speaks. Now remember, this ministering spirit is coming, speaking to them, letting them out of prison. And he says this, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What a powerful statement. In fact, I, as I've been reading over this over and over and over again, I read, the, I read this passage, verse 20, and I go, man, I wish it would have resonated within my gut about 15 years ago in the same way it is right now because I would, have, I would have prayed probably differently over my children. Right? I go, okay, I look at all my children. I've, I've said every one of my children have literally thousands of times I have prayed over them before they were even born. I pray that they would be a leader of men, strong and gentle. 
I've spoken about that with you before over and over. You can go to my kids right now and say, what does God want you to be when you grow up? They're going to say, a leader of men, strong and gentle. If they don't, you let me know. (laughs) Right? And it probably would have changed that prayer a little bit. Because the power of what they were now being instructed to do is really what I'm trying to tell my children they are being called to do. To get up, to go, stand, and to speak words of life. And that's a capital L. Here, they're they're here to speak words of life, meaning words about Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall have ever abundant, what? Life. He says it over and over and over again. You can find it again in uh, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Talks about how Jesus Christ is life. And he's he's being told by the angel, get up, go, stand, speak words of life. Right now, where are you going? For what are you standing? And for who are you speaking? For, what are you, for where are you going? For what are you standing? For whom are you, are you really speaking about? And are they words of life? Are you standing for Jesus? Are you speaking of Jesus? Are you running toward Jesus to be a part of his movement? It continues on. I have no idea how I'm going to make it all the way to verse 42. (laughs) Go, stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, I love this. Every morning the temple would open up. We know that there was a priest that was assigned to blowing a a trumpet, basically, okay? And they would blow the trumpet as the sun would rise. and, And all of a sudden the temple would open. So they have been speaking They have been standing on behalf of Jesus. They get arrested, thrown in public prison for that very thing. And all of a sudden, here comes an angel and says, I'm going to let you out. Now go stand and speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. Go speak life. And so their response, you know, we get out of prison in that situation. And I just want to go home, hot shower, right? Good meal, hug my kids, and be left alone. Give me some time. And yet their response is, okay. And so they go and they wait until daybreak, meaning there's a temple, blows the horn, the temple gates open kind of thing. They go in and they start preaching again. There's no, I need to, give give me a few days. Give me a few days. They just get up and they go and they stand and they start to speak Jesus. Wow. And they were obedient. They just went and they began to speak Jesus. Now, it continues on. I want to read, uh, starting with verse 22 and following. And I am going to skim through some of this. It says, the high priest came. And those who were with them, they called together the council, all right, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. 
So they're not familiar right yet, right? They're coming in in the morning, and they're all gathering together, the religious, religious leaders, and they're not familiar at this time with what's been happening and what's been taking place. And they say, bring them to us, right? But when the officers came, they did not fi- find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. And it says, we found the prison securely locked. Isn't that cool? We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when, he, when, when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Right, I, I think about when they even found the tomb of Christ open and there's no one there. And that wasn't long ago. And now all of a sudden what's happening is they're going, this was, it was even locked. And yet we open it up and no one's there. And so they're left perplexed. Yes, they were perplexed. They were confused about what was happening. And someone came and told them, look. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Verse 25. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them. But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set before them. They set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying... We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Just say this name. It's like they won't say the name Jesus right now. This man's blood. The blood of Jesus is what it is. It's like they don't want to give it the authority, the power that's there. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Go stand and speak the name of Jesus Christ. Who are you listening to? And are you allowing the wrong voices to tell you, to instruct you what to speak about? And is it, re- is it prohibiting you? Is it preventing you from speaking the name of Jesus? Well, they don't want me to do that. Jesus Christ says to go and share my love and my passion for all of humanity with the world. He never says go and do so as long as you don't get in trouble for it. Do we truly believe that Jesus Christ came and changed the course of humanity? Because if the answer to that is yes, our response to the world when they tell us to shut up is the very words the apostle spoke here is we must obey God, not you. That's why it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4 to not be one who has a spirit of timidity, but to, have one, to be one who knows the power of God. And so they went and they stood and they spoke Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. By the way, right here, what's happening is this. He is now speaking 
on behalf of life to the religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin, religious leaders of the day, and we know there's roughly in Jerusalem, that's the primary Sanhedrin. There were other Sanhedrins, but this is the primary Sanhedrin. There's about 70 or so members of it, and he's using this as an opportunity to come and do what? To tell them about Jesus Christ. And so even as they accuse him of something, he says, oh, this is an opportunity for me to let them know what they've done and to speak truth. To preach gospel. Right? Someone at the, the, the hospital this morning, they're like, don't you need to leave? I'm like, why? They're like, oh, you're not preaching. I'm like, oh, I'm preaching, but it's just in me. It's going to come out no matter when I show up. As long as I'm there by 925, Nathan won't freak out. <laughs> right? And they're like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, all you got to do, listen, it's all given for us. It's already here. It's already here to preach Jesus Christ. And he, he, this is what he's doing. He goes, listen, we have to obey God rather than men. And then he just jumps in, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. How dare you? I don't know about you, but as I've shared with people about Jesus in my life, I've heard that more than once. How, how dare you tell me that? What do you mean, how dare I tell you that? I'm telling you that there's a God who loves you and so gave his son to you, for you. What do you mean, how dare I? How dare me if I don't tell you that? Really? So he speaks these words, and by the way, just it's in the next chapter. You start looking at Acts, this is Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. You start having this guy, first Christian martyr, Stephen. They were just enraged at him. What you're going to find here is Gamel, though, comes into play. You're going, who's Gamel? I'm going to tell you in a second, but this is a, this is a precursor to what they're going to continue to do moving forward, is to, to tell people to be quiet, and when they speak truth, get upset with them and want to get rid of them. It says that they became enraged. They, want, they wanted to kill them, verse 33. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamel, that's the easiest pronunciation, just Gamel. Just remember that, Gamel. And so here's Gamel, and Gamel is this respected Jewish teacher. He's a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. That's what he wanted to do. So here's this famous teacher, this rabbi, and he's a Pharisee, not a Sadducee. All right, so here's this Pharisee teacher, but he's, in, he's respected so well by everyone. In fact, later on, his son, I think it was 63 to 65, even became the high priest. So here's someone who is respected so well by so many people that he has the authority to stand up and say, hey, wait a second. And they put them out, and, they, and he says, I need to talk to you. We need to chat. And it says, men of Israel, verse 35, you can just follow along with me, right, with what you have. Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. He's saying, be careful. That's what he's saying. Be careful. Think about what you're about to do. For before these days, right, before all of these things, and when he's saying before these days, before Jesus Christ started doing his thing, all right, Theodos came 
claimed to be somebody. This is another guy who's claiming to be more than man, right? Came to be someone. And people began to follow him. About 400 joined him. He was killed, and all who followed were dispersed and came to nothing. Now, he's letting them know Jesus Christ was killed, right? And all of a sudden, we've got this movement going on. But you need to be careful. The people aren't dispersing. And after him, Judas of Galilean rose up in the days of the census, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. Now he's saying pulled away some of the people, meaning from who they were, listening to them, obeying them, listening to their instruction. Drew away some other people. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, verse 38, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. In fact, you might even be found opposing God. So here's Gamal and he comes in and he says, man, you, this is the time. You need to be careful. You need to watch what you're about to do. It says they took his advice, and when they called, they had called in the apostles. Now, it says they took their advice, so they called in. This is how they take advice. They call in the apostles, and they beat them. They call in the apostles. They beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Their thankfulness for who Christ was led to a greater dependence upon him. And it led them to be obedient, to go, to stand, and to speak no matter what. How is this possible? Like when I read this passage, I think about so many different verses that stand out to me. We must obey God rather than men, right? That'll preach all day long. But this is what God has really just shown me and convicted me of over the last couple of weeks as I've read through this so many times as I'm highlighting and taking notes is this. Why is it? How is it that they could rejoice after being beaten for Jesus Christ? They're in prison. As soon as they get out, trumpet blows the next morning, and they take off. And they run into the temple. They begin to preach. They get in trouble again for that. They're brought in once again. They're told not to speak again. They're beaten for it, and immediately they rejoice for it. They go preach some more. How is that possible? Anybody else wonder that? Anybody else go, wait, like, is that all of us? Is that how we think? Like, hardship comes, difficulty comes, and we're like, oh, this is so good. This is so, Jesus, thank you for letting me suffer persecution. I, I've got to go speak your name right now. Is that how we are? Because that's, is the word, the word of God is truth. And if we believe it's truth, then it's a model, it's an example for us to follow, yes? Here's, here's the best way that I can describe why they were able to do what they did. Um, I need some, I'm going to come back here. I need some pens. And I think there's some pens here. Um, give me a moment. All right. This is going to help us. Um, let, let me do this as well. I need you guys to help me out. I need like six or seven chairs. 
But what you can do is just like, oh, that's, that's great. Like just, don't, like just set them right, all right down in here. I need more. That's even more. That's great. If it's your chair, I don't care. Sit on the floor. I'm kidding, kidding. Here's, here's why. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Here's the difference. Here's why this was possible. I think this is how we, we look at our life in Jesus Christ. This is what it is. We look at hardship and persecution, and we look at joy in knowing Jesus Christ very, very differently. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to make two piles here. This is how we look at the love of Jesus Christ. We go, oh, yeah, I have eternal life through Jesus. That's great, eternal life. Oh, but you know what? And he's shown me grace. Oh, and he says he's going to love me at all times. Isn't that cool? Right? And we go, man, forgiveness of sins. So he died for me, forgiveness of sins. All who repent upon his name have eternal life. John 3, 16, Romans 8, 9, 10, Romans 3, Romans 6. And keep going. Like, oh, that's really neat. That's awesome. That's so good. Right? Oh, I get to come and... Hopefully, most weeks, I get to come and I'll, I get to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I say they're family. I never see them outside of popping in for worship, but they're family. And that, that's pretty neat to know that they're there. So that's, that's pretty nice. Um, and so that's, that's an expanded family. And we just keep going. Like, that's how we think about who Jesus Christ is. But then, this is what we do on this side. But you know what? My colleague at work is, is a punk. And every time I even mention faith, I get yelled at and I get written up. And in four days, I have to go spend Thanksgiving with some family that I don't want to consider family. Um, and, oh, it's true. Not me. I wasn't talking about... My wife is in the second service. I will rephrase that next time. <laughs> but I have to go be with some family I don't even want to be with. And so here's another one here. And then we go, you know what? My kids aren't being obedient right now. And it's just a pain in the rear end. And so we have another one. And then we go, you know what? the school system and the government is telling me not to speak about the name of Jesus and I can't do it at work because when I do, I get in trouble and I can't do it at school because my friends tell me not to and the teachers say they can't have a role in it and I don't know what to do and so we have another one and then over here, what we have is, man, you know what? My marriage isn't what it's supposed to be and we have this huge weight in our hands and we're just waiting to get out of it. We're waiting for our kids to leave for school. And I don't want to pray for him or for her. And I just want nothing to do with them, to be honest. And every time they speak, my skin crawls. Another one. And then we have this, another one, where we just think to ourselves, you know what? Woe is me, life isn't fair. You don't know how hard things are. You don't know how difficult things are. Financially, things aren't great. My health is junk, right? And 
I've got friends who I don't really know if they're friends or not. You know, the whole average of two, every man in the world has two people they actually consider to be friends, and I don't feel like I even have one. Woe is me. Another one. This is a picture of who we are. But it's not a picture of who the apostles were. They flipped it. They told me to shut up about Jesus. Oh, what they don't know. My marriage isn't very good, but God can redeem anything. My kids, oh, I'm struggling with my kids. I have to spend Thanksgiving with people I don't want to spend Thanksgiving with. And it just keeps going on and on. And that's, this is how they measure their problems. And on the other side, In a much larger fashion, they had the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God. You see, they placed far greater value in who Jesus was than they did the problems of the world. You see the difference? And if we're honest, I mean, if we really evaluate the depths of our soul, How many of us, how many of us allow the hardships of this temporary life to be greater than the wonders and the splendor of an eternal God? And so our view, our lens for which we see life as being, for what we see life as being, it's different. It's not as it should be. The apostles, here's how they said, after being beaten, after being told to plead, you're never speaking these words again. Here's how they walk out rejoicing in the Lord. Here's how they walk out to say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you more about Jesus Christ. Is because they place greater value, thanksgiving and appreciation on who Jesus was and what he did and who he is forever and ever and ever than they did on anything of this world. What if we did that? That is the only way that these words can be read and they can be truth. When they call out and they say these very things, they left in the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house. They didn't just go to church to do it. They went from house to house, everything that they were about in life, business to business, and in every single situation, every single day, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Lord. Why? Because their thankfulness for who he is and what he's done eternally was far more valued than the temporary of today. And I know that these words for us as a church today can be heard or could be heard as being calloused, but they're not being calloused, they're words of hope. They are words of hope 
there are words that we have been promised. The followers' thankfulness for who Jesus was was greater than any worldly hardship. And we have to strive to be that obedient to God even when it puts us in a hard situation with men. That's what, this is what I evaluate even for my own kids. Like as I raise my children, am I teaching them to put value on the world or on God? This is something we have to process. But I will tell you this. Our God is bigger than anything this world may bring. Two hours ago, I was hugging one of our brothers as he held the hand of his son who had already flatlined in terms of mental capacity. And I told him the words, our God is bigger than this. And he says, I know. And that's all he could get out. You see, all of these things are temporary. All of these things are eternal. Value the eternal. Let's pray. God, I come before you. And I thank you. That we can value the eternal. That you are eternal. God, I give you thanks. Lord, we get so distracted and sometimes we actually think that the temporary matters more than you do. And so God, remind us, just as you are as a good shepherd, you take your staff, your rod, and you push us back, you direct us back, you nudge us back to streams of living water. And some of us need to be nudged today, God. We, we, we've lost our focus. We need to be nudged. We've lost our focus, God. And we need to turn to the left, or we, maybe it's to the right, and we need to still see that you are God and that you are present. You're the everlasting help. You're the king of kings the Lord of lords. And Lord, I ask that because of the knowledge that we have in who you are, because of the understanding that we truly do believe that you are life, 
1 Peter 5, John 3, 16, John 14, 6. I think about it over and over again. We believe that your son is life, and because we believe that, it will allow us to, to go, to stand, and to speak in the name of Jesus. Our voices will not be silenced. God, we proclaim, declare that now. Because you are worthy. You will always, you will forever reign. May we live in that right now. May we live in that right now. And declare it with all that we have. In Christ's name. Amen.